Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Mellard, thrilled as always to have you with us. I'm still here in Utah trying to get back to the East Coast between a big nor'easter and a big snowstorm here in Utah. We've had some interesting travel arrangements, some canceled flights and moved flights, and hopefully we'll be on a red eye tonight to get back and get back in the office seeing patients. I've got a wonderful guest today, someone who I'm excited to bring to you, someone who you guys are not familiar with, but you're going to learn a lot from, Ted McGreer, owner of Ted's Shoe and Sport, a store in my town of Keene, New Hampshire. And while I'm always looking to bring you perspectives from within the orthodontic industry, sometimes I think it's also valuable to look outside of our industry to see what other people are doing and where we can learn from in terms of excellent customer service, employee training. This is going to be an exciting conversation and I'm excited to bring Ted on the show to ask him some questions and be able to share a little bit of his story with you guys. Before we get into the interview, I wanted to share something that we had tried recently, and I have to give a shout out here to Bridget Burris about hiring and using group interviews in your hiring process. This is really taken directly from the most recent episode of the Progressive Orthodontic Magazine, which you can find at theproortho.com. This is the first quarter of 2018, and this is something that we've wanted to do in the past but never really had the framework or the organization to do. But recently, due to some growth in our practice, we've had the need to hire a couple of assistants, and so we utilize this group interview process. We followed Bridget's recommendations very closely. We advertised the job online, and when we got a number of resumes that seemed to be good and appropriate for the position that we were hiring for, we set up an evening where we invited people to come in all at the same time, and we were able to really get to know people in a different way. You know, in the past, I've done phone interviews and in-person interviews, and my main problem with it is that it was very, very time-consuming for me or for whoever was doing the hiring process. So bringing everyone together allowed us to not have to repeat so much information about the job, to be able to get a lot of that out there to people, to be able to very quickly assess all of our applicants and get to know our personalities. I'm sure we've all had the experience of wanting to interview someone, bringing them into the office, and knowing within 90 seconds that this person is not a good fit, but feeling a little bit obligated to kind of still go through the process of, you know, 20 or 30 minutes of them talking with the doctor or with some of the staff, and that just tends to waste a lot of time. So we held an evening, we had people come in, we had team members there who were able to help that process. We had the applicants fill out job applications, we had them do some different dexterity and personality and achievement type tests. Uh, We had short discussions with all of them. And what was really fun is by the end of the evening, after we had let all of the applicants go home, it was great to sit with my team and be able to say, who are the people that we liked. And the consensus that we came to very, very quickly was very encouraging. And it really allowed us confidence to invite people back for working interviews and to be able to hire these people into our practice. So Uh, We hired two of our applicants. They are starting on Monday morning in our practice. So I can't vouch, I guess, for the validity in terms of finding the right fit. We'll have to see how that works out. But what I was impressed with was how much time it saved and how much buy-in from the team that we have. And now when these people start, I feel very confident that we're going to be able to have a great result for this. So I encourage you to give this a try next time you have to hire. 
using a group interview format. And again, if you want to find out more of the specifics, go to theproortho.com and the first quarter of 2018. Excellent article by Bridget Burris. We're going to get into our interview now, but first a quick sponsorship message. This episode of the Elevate Orthodontics podcast is brought to you by Dentma. Artificial intelligence is the future, and it's dramatically changing business operations and customer experiences in many industries for the better. Five years in the making, Dentma is excited to be introducing AVA to orthodontics. AVA is your treatment coordinator's automated personal assistant. When directed by your TC, AVA will keep track of all your pending patients and communicate with them until they start treatment. AVA helps significantly increase your patient conversion. Think of her as your newest staff member who works 24-7 and you never pay her overtime. She never takes a vacation and never calls in sick. She never makes a mistake and always does exactly what she's told to do. AVA works at lightning speeds for a fraction of human labor cost. AVA is for hire. You can learn more about AVA at dentma.com. That's dent as in dental, M as in marketing, and A as in automation. Dentma.com. All right. It's so exciting for me today to have Ted McGreer from Ted Shoe and Sport in Keene, New Hampshire with us on the podcast. And I want to tell you a little bit about Ted before we bring him on the line here. Ted Shoe and Sport was established in 1999, and it's in its 18th year of operation. It's located on beautiful Main Street in my town of Keene, New Hampshire. Ted has done an amazing job of putting together a team of people around him that really embody a customer service ethic who are highly knowledgeable and skilled. And every time I've been into the store, I've just been amazed by the attentiveness and the knowledge which all of his team have. Ted works really closely with a medical and athletic community in our area to improve comfort and performance on all levels. Ted has developed his own line of antimicrobial shoe deodorizer. He's worked on creating a proprietary over-the-counter custom orthotic line, and he's designed many shoes for the New Balance Athletic Shoe Company. Ted is really known in our community for his charitable giving and his community involvement. He's the recipient of the Greater Keene Chamber of Commerce Windsorbrook Business of the Year Award, and it's just a pleasure for me to bring on the show today Ted McGreer. Ted, welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Dr. Miller. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I think our industries, as we've talked about, really share a lot of commonalities in terms of the way that we connect with people and the way that we uh, kind of reach out to attract people into our businesses. I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. We heard in the introduction that before you started TEDS, you were working in this kind of athletic space. What made you think, hey, I want to start my own business, strike out on my own, and and give this a go? Yeah, that's an interesting segue. I um, was a triathlete, and I wanted to try my luck out in Colorado, out in the the mountains, ski race in the wintertime. Really started to enjoy endurance training and sports and so forth, and um, during the wintertime, I got a job at a ski shop out there, and the ski shop was really well-known with the medical relationship field for uh, people with orthotics, people with foot deformities, challenges with ski boots, but also really high-end racers. And the boot transmits all the energy to the ski, so if you don't have a boot that fits properly, that's the difference between getting on the podium and not. So we started to work with a lot of U.S. developmental ski team athletes and turned into kind of a master boot fitter after about 15 years and found that that whole transmission of energy conforms really well to running footwear and everyday footwear from an alignment standpoint. So we're very philosophical-focused, orthopedic-focused with the way we align foot, ankle, knee, hip to help people move. Was there a specific vision you had You know, when you said, I'm going to start this store, Ted's Shoe and Sport? What did you want to be known for? You know, What was your kind of vision for the culture and the environment that you wanted to work in? 
I started the store in 1999 from scratch. We found a location here in Keene, New Hampshire, a town of 22,000 people, which really hasn't grown much in 20 years. Really, my focus was to reach a demographic of about five years old to 50. We wanted athletes, people moving, uh, with a running focus first. And we had a sporting goods feel to our store. So we sold soccer cleats, football cleats, baseball shoes, basketball shoes. We had a lot of different categories. 2005, uh, the big giant box store came into town. Uh, 60,000 square foot store. And that had a, an effect on some of those small categories, which really weren't driving our business. So we became really focused on reaching out to physical therapists, foot doctors, chiropractors, people in the medical field to work with their patients from a referral standpoint, and to really take that old fashioned sit and fit philosophy of measuring the foot, evaluating the gait cycle, the way people move, and properly putting footwear on their feet, as opposed to just going into a, a store with a bunch of aisles and picking your size blinded. So that is really how we transformed our business from being kind of a sporting goods store to more more of a sit-and-fit footwear-focused store now. You know, when you started, did you think, you know, I want to be the guy that is known for customer service? You know, what was that important to you, or did you want to be known just kind of as the best technician? What was kind of the angle that you wanted to take? From um, day one, I had a philosophy that I felt customer service wasn't good enough anymore. How many times do we go into restaurants and the food's lukewarm, but we're hungry and we eat it? But that's just not good enough when you're paying for something and you're dealing with a service type industry. So my focus from day one was to just cherish every customer that came in my door and make them remember their experience with me. Regardless, 20 years later of what's occurring with online shopping and how malls are getting beat up and so forth, if we can still create the experience, make it memorable, we'll win. And so from day one, that was our philosophy. I read a book called Raving Fans by Ken Blanchard, which is a good quick little read, and it just gives you that next level plus one focus on exceeding expectations for customers, you know, asking the right questions, really letting the products in your store or your service be the byproduct of the relationship you're creating. Yeah, yeah. I think you and I have talked about this before that, you know, for you, it's it's shoes and for me, it's braces. But really, that's just the mechanism to connect with people. You know, we've talked before about how in some ways we're in the same industry. It's, it's getting to know people. Mm -hmm. It's making them feel special, having that memorable experience and helping them solve the problem along the way. For me, that connection with other people is really what you know makes coming to work enjoyable. And, I, and I'll add that in today's day and age, you know, if you're not sharp and if your team is not sharp and, and you don't have your, your team completely performing at the highest level, one bad review can really hurt you, right? And so 20 years ago, 15 years ago, people didn't have the ability to go on Yelp or Google reviews and now they do. So we're pretty careful about that and we want to make sure that every day is a, a really good, solid day. Yeah, and I think Ted's is known you know, around our community as a place that you go for excellent service and customer care. I've purchased many pairs of shoes yes, there for, for myself and my family. And actually, although you and I know each other quite well, I've never had you help me in your store. And I say this obviously not to complain, but actually rather because I have always had a great experience from your fabulously trained employees. And I'm curious, how do you bring someone into your business and not only give them the skills that they need to help customers, but also help them really understand and, and embody that culture of TEDs. Mm -hmm. For me, it's not a function of having to train them from a medical standpoint, right? I mean, I, I certainly have to explain to them foot and ankle anatomy and so forth so that they can handle filling prescriptions from doctor's offices and so forth. But for me, it's 
the major focus is 300 hours of training and 180 hours of that, which are, are quite costly as we're talking to business owners, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. 180 hours of that is really customer interaction and mock transactions and situations where I'll have um, maybe a senior employee go out in the parking lot and walk in the store with a pair of shoes that they wore for six months and the toes peeling off and action, you're on. How are you going to handle that situation? And how do you handle um, challenging people or, or people that may have uh, scenarios going on in their life that we don't know about? And so lots of different mock transactions that we have. But I also make every new employee read some of these great reads that are out there about exceedingly high levels of customer service and hold them accountable to that. So the interview process for me, I start, I try to get into the employee's lunch bag, and then I try to get into their backpack, and then I try to get into their briefcase and their luggage. And so I have four interviews for each new employee, and each one's a little bit more detailed. But for me, I'm, I'm reaching out to college-age students, some high school staff, and I, I do have some stay-at-home moms that work for me as well. And, and I'll tell you, Dr. Miller, I've been really fortunate over the years, although I, I, I'll be the first to admit I've had some bad ones too. The pool of people who are willing to work in the retail space is becoming more challenging People just don't look at retail as a, a long-term career. So it takes a lot, of, a lot of effort. And I also try to hire people who maybe I'm familiar with their family or their parents or their family background. And if their parents have good morals and ethics, it's highly likely that they do too. Sure, sure. I think that's great that you actually run people through mock scenarios and trials. That role-playing thing sometimes is almost hard to get over the hump of doing. We've done that in our practice before, and there's that kind of moment where people are like, are we really going to do this? Right. right. Uh, are we really going to like get into character? But I think if you can get over that and kind of get over yourself, having walked through those scenarios, uh, especially for a new employee, you know, you've, you've probably dealt with every customer interaction that there is at this point, but a new employee, that's super valuable. Yeah. I mean, we call it TLC, think like a customer. And, and when you can shift your mindset to thinking like a patient or thinking like a customer, maybe somebody's really nervous about coming into an orthodontist for the first time. If we think like them, we can better serve them. Is caring for people something that can be taught that you can do in the training process or is it really baked into the employee You know, when they arrive? In other words, how much should we focus on hiring? You, you mentioned you know, four steps or four interviews mm-hmm. and how much on training? How do we kind of think about that when we're hiring new employees? You know, there's a book called The E-Myth. Uh, Michael Gerber wrote it. And the preface was, you can get extraordinary things out of ordinary people. My hopes are that we can coach people into being customer-centric and customer-focused and provide that plus-one experience. I'm not sure everybody's coachable, per se. And so a lot of times in my first couple of interviews, I'll share with my potential applicant or interviewee that retail is not for everybody. And I'll explain what kind of the demands are, and I'll nip it in the bud right there. So I'm not sure that 100% of people can handle this people business that we're in, but that's why we try to get to know them three or four times prior to hiring them. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely found that to be the case. Yeah. You know, you want to identify those people that have some promise and then you really want to invest the time and energy to help them understand your culture, to give them the skills and the training that they need, the, the languaging right. for your industry or for my industry. That I think that's really important. The one thing I'll tell you that I can't seem to teach, the, the more I'm in this business and dealing with employees from 18 to 55, is the ability to be enthusiastic and exuberant. And that's something that is hard to teach. There's an awful lot of melodramatic 
uh, people in this world now that don't have that ability to kind of turn the lights on and get on stage when a customer comes in. And to me, that's invaluable is finding that person who's enthusiastic. They smile. They seem like they're having a good time. and They're ready to be there and happy to be there. So that's really one of the biggest traits that I'm looking for, good soft skills and an exuberant, enthusiastic attitude. We're definitely looking for the same thing. Yeah. Something that I've noticed, Ted, is that you know, despite having an excellent reputation here in our community, you're still marketing pretty constantly. You must feel like it's important to be constantly telling the story of Ted Shoe and Sport to your, I guess, current and prospective customers. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, you know what? I worked in this industry for a long time, even prior to starting my own business. And having seen different business owners, or, or in your case, maybe different physicians and doctors in their philosophies as it relates to marketing, I learned a lot from maybe what not to do and what to do. I thought when I first opened, I'm going to try every type of marketing facet. And if it doesn't work, then okay, I'll dust myself off and try something else. But at the end of the day, I still feel top of the mind awareness is really what drives me to continue marketing. And I've had customers come into the store and they say, geez, Ted, I hear your ads on the radio. Is business okay? I wonder, are you advertising because business is in the tank? And it's quite interesting. While other people say, hey, business must be great. You're advertising all the time. I hear you on the radio. I see you in the newspaper and social media. So two different philosophies there. But I feel like consistency is key. I also find that there's, um, and I'm sure we're going to be preaching to the choir here, but there's an awful lot of ways that you can waste money from a marketing standpoint. And my wife keeps telling me that I should buy 5,000 water bottles and get them to every single kid that's playing sports in this community that have our logo on it. And I'm thinking, you know, is that really the best way to spend money? I'm not certain it is, but I'm finding that we're starting to shift some of our dollars from radio and clearly print into sponsoring and boosting much more social media stuff to try to reach that millennial audience. Definitely is something that we, you know, as orthodontists think about a lot. In the dental space, I think many doctors have a hard time with the concept of promotion. You could call it self-promotion or marketing. You know, they see it maybe as cheesy or desperate. Maybe that's an ego doctor thing. You know, how do you reconcile, and you've touched on this already, but this concept of being a trusted individual in the community with maybe running some crazy promotional or, or a deal. Is there a place where you kind of start to feel uncomfortable or how do you walk that line? When I first started advertising, and especially my own radio ads, I do my radio ads live and I don't talk about um, prices. I don't talk about sales and blowouts, you know, 90% off this weekend. We don't do any of that stuff. It's more of an educational approach. And so I've tried to have an educational approach to all of our advertising so that we're telling a story. When I look at uh, you sponsor so many road races in town, we put on these road races. I look at the back of the shirt. I see all the business owners logos on the back. And I'm convinced that it's only us business owners that are looking at the back of the shirt, right? <laughs> and so is logo placement really um, more of an ego thing? I think it probably is. We all want to see that our logo's placed properly and it's you know skewed right and so forth. But at first, I didn't like hearing my, my voice on the radio. I thought it was a little egotistic. But then I realized that we're telling a story and we're being honest and that the end result is a benefit to the end user. And so small town, as long as our mission, that we're fulfilling our mission to be ethical and to be involved in our community and make sure that we're giving back, I can live with those yeah. um, pushes, so to speak. Well, and I yeah. think they come off as, as fantastic. And I'm always kind of looking at what you're doing because it, I think it's so well done. You mentioned a little bit this concept of maybe community marketing, supporting organizations in our town. I think that's something that you and I both care a lot mm -hmm. about. It's also something that benefits our businesses. 
Um, and that line can be, I guess, a bit blurry yeah. uh, at times. Like I wonder sometimes, you know, what's the ROI on this, you know, community <laughs> sponsorship? But then on the other hand, sometimes I'm supporting things that I know have like almost no benefit to my practice, but I care about them and I want to help. Right. So we've taken all these asks because we get asked six times a day for donations or solicitations. And I realize that it's daunting. My employees see a customer come in. They've got a folder in their pocket they're not there to do any business. They're there to ask for donation. So we took a page on our website with criteria that our staff put together of what we're going to focus on and what our charitable giving focus would be. So it's a charitable giving link on our website. A customer or a person comes in off the street today, they ask for a donation. We hand them a business card, tell them to go to our website. And then our team of employees every Monday morning looks at the asks and we vote on it, whether we want to support it or not, based on the criteria that we've got set. So it really stops that hard no in the office. It prevents your secretary from having to say, oh, we'll think about it, or I'll get this form to Dr. Miller and he'll look at it and get back to you. It takes a little bit off your plate. It's a simple email. If they hit their criteria, great. If they don't, um, what are some of the criteria? For me, it's um, are you a nonprofit organization? Are you in this county, Cheshire County, New Hampshire? Is it for a single individual sponsorship? Because we want to support groups of children. We don't want to support one child. We want to reach more people. And I think more importantly, have you asked for a donation in the last calendar month or last calendar year? And does it directly benefit children in Cheshire County? Because I want to support active youth, and that's what we're focused on. So if they hit and reach all those criteria, then we weigh that. And uh, for me, I can give a gift certificate out or something like that. But it's not me writing a check every single day, which is helpful. Uh, but that criteria and that charitable giving page on our website has totally streamlined our practice. Because once you become charitable in the community, people all say, oh, yeah, he'll give to that. Or, or, yeah, Dr. Miller always supports this. Let's go ask him, right? And it really becomes donor fatigue. Yeah. So that, that whole concept of um, charitable giving on the web has supported us. But also, I'll tell you that I'm not certain that uh, there's a big ROI on those. And, and now when people send me that email... I'm actually looking in my computer system to see if they're customers because the door, I feel like, has got to swing both ways. If they've never stepped in my store before or never done business with me, it's going to be a little bit maybe more challenging to support that particular cause. Uh, another thing I think, Ted, that you've done very successfully is partner with other local business owners. I think most notably Luca Paris, uh, who owns a successful restaurant and catering company here in Keene. What have you gained from these partnerships or you know, involvement in maybe things like Rotary Club? How has that helped your development as a business owner? Well, I think being involved with a service organization, uh, Lions, Kiwanis, Rotary, the biggest key for me is that I thought that was a networking business opportunity to kind of grow my business. And really the last thing I realized is it's just solely focused on community service or international service. So I've taken five or six trips to El Salvador with high school students. We've built houses. We've raised money for them. But, you know, we only have our reputation in a small town. And so when you have those ethics and morals focused on being surrounded by people who are doing good and doing the right thing, it only helps benefit your business and your name. And I think when you have a good reputation, there's certainly a target on your back, but I try to surround myself with really good people. Co-branding, doing uh, doing some co-marketing stuff with other businesses has been a lot of fun. Uh, we've done some fun YouTube videos where we've tried to raise money for certain nonprofits in town, and we just try to stay out there and just be creative in this day and age. If we're not, we're going to get lost. Yeah, yeah. And I think that really helps with the top-of-mind awareness You've kind of created this almost persona of, of Ted, who's kind of a local celebrity. But I think it's very sincere. I think it's a very positive reflection of you. 
you know, and I think that's kind of every successful business owner has this attitude of constantly you're running for mayor, right? You're out there, you're trying to promote this. And how do you think about your reputation? You've built this community. How do you put that in perspective? Well, I, you know, I try to look at my store and I, and I almost wish I didn't name it Ted's because inevitably I've got seven employees working on a Saturday and a customer comes in and they will not talk to any employee. They want to talk to Ted. So I probably should have named it like the Keen Running Company or something like that. But we're only successful because I'm in it. You know, if you go to Dick's Sporting Goods, Dick's probably not walking around there. So <laughs> that's a kind of a neat thing in a small community where that the owner's on hand and so forth. But what was the movie, Grease, where you, you, I got a rep to protect? I mean, you know, I, I think doing the right thing and having a charitable mindset and making good decisions in a small town like this enables me or inspires me to continue to do good things. So I take my reputation seriously. I want to make sure that I protect that yeah. seriously too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Let's switch gears a little bit. How do you think about pricing your product? You know, the products in your store. You certainly must have to ride that line between offering competitive pricing without engaging in in a race to the bottom. And I think in orthodontics, which is an elective sort of business, doctors are also kind of looking around trying to figure out how to price their services fairly to cover their costs, but also uh, be competitive in the marketplace. How do you think about pricing? Well, this is a this is a great question. You know what? Most of our vendors now, so we sell Nike and Adidas and Asics and Reebok and all the major shoe brands in our stores, they're all selling direct to consumer. So I'm now competing against my own vendors who used to be considered retail partners, right? But they're setting the prices. So MSRP is set by our vendors and we kind of hold to their pricing because we're never going to be able to compete on price. We can compete on service all day long. But the playing fields become much more level now. And so our vendors, our manufacturers, they're fulfilling Amazon. They're not allowing third party to fulfill Amazon stuff. So that you come into my store, that Nike Pegasus is $99 in my store and it's 99 on nike.com and it's 99 all over the world. So why do you come if it's the same price? Well, because you might get some more expertise. So our industry kind of dictates the pricing, which is nice. Once the product is six months old, all bets are off. And that's where we need to be careful about our buying and and how we plan our inventory and purchasing. But the good news is for my industry, it's becoming much more of a level playing field with minimum advertised pricing policies. If I put something online, it's being policed by my vendors. So um, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. You and I talked a little bit uh, before the interview started about how the orthodontic space is changing rapidly. We are starting to see competition from lower cost providers, online do-it-yourself type treatments, uh, teledentistry like Smile Direct Club, which everyone has seen the ads for. You know, like you mentioned, this is old news for your industry, Ted. You know, where you compete with big box stores. You mentioned online stores. You know, vendors selling. How do you think about staying relevant in that sort of competitive environment? Well, you know, it concerns me. I mean, if I have a crystal ball, I wonder what Main Street America looks like in 15 years. And when we go back 15 years ago, you couldn't buy anything on the internet. We had dial-up. So, I mean, times changed so quickly. 15 years, this little tiny window of time, and the world's just changing so fast. We've got to be relevant by staying top of mind, but still staying true to our philosophies. And I can't imagine buying teeth straighteners on, on TV. Um, I just can't imagine it. And, and I also never thought that people would be buying shoes on the internet. But you know, if you don't have a problem with your feet, I suppose it works. But we're trying to stay relevant with our pricing. But 
you know, just doing these unique things in a small town like this and, and just being creative with marketing, I think goes a long way. Yeah. And I think you're really succeeding at it. When, when I think about the position of Ted's here in our community and kind of the constant buzz and excitement that kind of surrounds your store, it's clear that I think you are communicating your story to people. You know, people are understanding that they go there for that service, for that experience. And I think that helps people not think of what they get in your store as a commodity. Mm-hmm. It's pretty interesting too. Here we are sitting on a podcast for orthodontics, but really what I'm sharing is relevant to any business practice, right? And it doesn't matter where you are, but I think any good business needs to establish a mission statement and making sure that there's buy-in from every employee in the practice to the mission. My mission statement wasn't to sell the best quality running shoes in the country or in central New England. Mine was to build long-term relationships with our customers and our community. So how do we continue to fulfill the mission? And if I have an employee that's having a bad day, I might walk over and, and just point to the mission statement on the wall and say, you know, did you just fulfill that? And was that interaction fulfillment of our mission? And really, at the end of the day, that's all we have to live by. And we have to ask ourselves, are we doing what we're saying we're doing? So we all got to stay hungry and we all got to just keep working really hard at this. But staying relevant and staying out there and being consistent with our messaging, I used to call it spray and pray. I had no budget for advertising. So I'd spray some ads at Thanksgiving. I'd spray some ads at Christmas and maybe at uh, back to school. But that was it. And then after I was done spraying, I would, I would be out of sight, out of mind for eight months. Now I'm on the radio or I'm on social media almost every single day or every other day trying to reach people. So I think that consistency is key with the fulfillment of the mission. I think that's fantastic advice. I love that. Well, let's let's finish with this. We'll maybe switch things a little bit here. I, I had the privilege of being your daughter's orthodontist, mm-hmm. which was a treat. And we even have some of her, I guess, artwork decorating our office wall here. You know, our audience is orthodontists. And I'm curious if you could maybe share your perspective as a parent who's seeking orthodontic care for your child. What concerns did you have, questions about the process, and and ultimately, how did you make a decision to feel comfortable moving forward in our office? Well, we've talked about this community that we live in, so it's 22,000 people, but there is a metropolis around us of, what, a couple hundred thousand that do infiltrate into our town. So I had a personal relationship with some of the people that work here as uh, not personal, but a business relationship. They were customers of mine. I have to tell you, the the care that I got here was, was world-class, but we had no idea what to expect coming in. Really, when I look back at the whole process, it was seamless. It was efficient. It was very clearly laid out. But what I liked most about it was the care after the initial consult. And even still, to this day, you guys still reach out. You still, I mean, it's after the sale, so to speak. You know, when I have a customer that spends $500 on gear in my store, I need to do a better job sending a postcard to them saying, hey, we really appreciate your business. And that's what I see you doing. You've kind of set the tone for customer care plus one in the industry, as far as I'm concerned, in this town. And when I think of top of the mind awareness for orthodontics, there is no other orthodontics in my mind. So it's, that's it's very real, kind. No, it's a privilege. And, and I just think the, the uh, focus on the patient is terrific. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I feel like maybe I was uh, no, fishing no. for a compliment here, no. but uh, I, I, I think that's great. Ted, I want to thank you so much for your time today. This has been super fun, and I think it's going to be very valuable to our listeners. Um, you've been such a role model to me in, in how you run your business and how oh, you uh, <laughs> treat people here in the community. So this, is, this has been a, a real treat for me, and I just want to thank you for your time. Well, I hope that it's, it's relevant to anybody in, in business, and a lot of orthodontists are, are business people too. So 
just keep doing what you're doing and don't let those uh, direct-to-consumer stuff get in the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So people can follow you on uh, Ted's Shoe and Sport on Facebook, yeah. Instagram. Yeah. Uh, your website is? TedSports.com. TedSports.com. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Ted. We'll talk again soon. Hey, thank you, Dr. Miller. All right, guys, that's a wrap on another episode of our podcast. I want to thank Ted for coming on the show today and sharing with us his knowledge and experience. I had a great time talking with him. Also, a special thanks to today's sponsor, Dentma. Check them out at dentma.com. Have a wonderful week. Keep smiling, and we'll see you back next time. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.